The Dark Times is not intended for younglings, foundlings, or Padawan learners. Ask your Game Master's permission before listening. The attempt on my part has left me scarred and deformed, but I assure you, my gain has never been stronger. In order to ensure our security and continuing stability, the episode will be re-uploaded into the first Dark Times podcast for a safe and secure listening experience. This is how podcasts die. With thunderous downloads. Welcome back to the Dark Times Podcast. I'm Sam, your favorite Jawa Juice Junkie. And I'm Steven, your favorite terrorist street racer. There we go. Oh, yeah, I like see, that. I'm bringing in a little coder, you know? Steven, did we have any feedback from last week? Absolutely none. <laughs> All right. Well, I, well yeah. <laughs> Besides the, like, we love you, keep at it, yeah. you're the best. Two weeks worth of episodes <laughs> and no feedback. <laughs> That's fine. I mean, you know, it, it's all good. That's yeah, great. Sam's not trying to shame you, dear listener. Please. No, I love it. I don't have to organize anything. We yeah. <laughs> get it done, you know? Uh, if you do have feedback for us, though, reach out to us, darktimesswse at gmail.com. Fantastic. Sam, today we, we've gathered here today to talk about something very special. Yeah. Astrogation. When a droid finally becomes a man. <laughs> an astromech, maybe. An astro mitzvah. <laughs> That's good. That's pretty good. Sam, astrogation's often hand-waved. Um, by George Lucas. By George mostly, Lucas, yeah. by mostly. But yes, by also by, by Game Masters at, at many tables. And, and that's okay. We're here to tell you, we're here to tell everyone that that's okay. You don't have to worry about astrogation if your story doesn't call for it. I mean, look at Rebels, the Clone Wars, the movies. Space travel across light years takes place over minutes, hours, whatever really needs to happen. This is, of course, called at the speed of plot. Yeah. And you can do that in Swissy quite easily. People do it all the time. But I'm here to tell you why you maybe shouldn't. Astrogation, I think, is a really fun subsystem of the game that puts a lot of control in the player's hands and gives the game master, we always say it, Barbie, lots of story hooks and opportunities, levers to pull to make the game more interesting. And it introduces an element of randomness to your adventure, which, I mean, fuck, we've talked about endlessly about how much I love just a little twist in there. Yeah, a little dice roll. Uh, dice roll of fate. I mean, the game's fun when the players don't know what's going to happen. You know, what's the game like when no one knows what's going to happen? Suppose he doesn't offer the hyperspace that we see in the movies that is, you know, minutes or hours or however long needed. In Swissy, it's days to hours at the very fastest. So you got, you know me, Sam, you know, my, my approach to things before I actually tell you how to get this into your game, we got to go over the heady extraneous storytelling bullshit, right? Well, yeah. How does this relate? If I'm rolling dice just to roll dice, I want to know how it relates storytelling wise to me as a DM. Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to game mastering astrogation, there's like one place I like to start. And this is an experience I'm sure almost everyone has had at their table where they've tried to do anything besides hand wave hyperspace travel. There's always one smart ass gamer who took astronomy 101 in college. Who likes to bring up? Who likes to bring your game to a grinding halt and point out that hyperspace doesn't actually make any sense, Lel? Or another guy who says, "Omg, 
it doesn't actually work like that. Your hyperspace should work like this. No, sh- shut shut the fuck up. I have never met people like that, thankfully. Really? Okay. I mean, I'm sure good. I've read their comments on Reddit, but I don't <laughs> think I've, I've heard from them in person. Precisely. Uh, I've, I've had a couple campaigns where someone wanted to... Like their astronomy just 101 do a little physics class. lesson in the middle of our Star Wars RPG. I don't get the point of that. If you do that and you're listening right now, unsubscribe. If they're going to do it, all <laughs> right. No, if they're going to do a physics lesson about <laughs> hyperspace, they also have to do one immediately afterwards about lightsabers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're, you know the point that I'm going to bring up. Like if, if squelch deep thinking about hyperspace at the table, period. Like don't even encourage or feed that sort of shit. It's it, most like most things in our sci-fi fantasy space opera. It's magic. Hyperspace is fucking magic. It's faster than light travel. Like we, we can't even, we're not even there yet. Not even close. You know about warp drives in like Star Trek. Oh no. in like IRL, but I mean, no theoretical. <laughs> Here I go. Um, in universe, keep in mind, hyperspace is almost never scrutinized or questioned. It is literally like, Taking an Uber, you know, it is so mundane, part of everyday life for most people in the galaxy. They don't question it. Why should your players trade routes go along? They have hyperspace routes. They have literally fucking hyperspace highways that exist. And no one really explains it because it's something that everyone knows. Yes, precisely. (laughs) Um, I've gathered some solid. uh, Let's call these precepts to build your understanding and implementation of hyperspace into your stories. I've kind of derived these vaguely from other Star Wars sources, but most of these I gathered from how hyperspace works mechanically in Swissy, which of course, when it comes to Swissy, we're concerned about Swissy. If someone wants to bring up Thrawn issue number 16, variant two comic con exclusive, what happens in that comic? It doesn't matter. It's your Thrawn game, gets baby. circumcised. In yeah, that comic. of course everyone knows Thrawn's foreskin. Go- Never mind. <laughs> we'll get into that in a different episode. Um, yeah. Well, if they want to be that nitpicky about it, they can do it when they're the DM. Damn right. Damn right. And everyone should know that. That's their soapbox moment. So precept number one. When a ship enters hyperspace, it and everything on board enters a strange dimension of space where faster than light travel is easy. Precept two. Objects in real space cast mass shadows onto the realm of hyperspace, which can endanger objects attempting to safely navigate hyperspace. Very large objects like stars and planets cast very large mass shadows. Hyperdrives have limited safety features that can exit hyperspace when dangerously close to a mass shadow. Other times, though, a poorly plotted course results in a catastrophic collision with a celestial body. Precept 4. Because objects in real space are always in motion, a careful astrogator must plot a course around these ever-shifting mass shadows to ensure a safe journey. Therefore, a trip between point A and point B in the galaxy may take different lengths of time on different days. I like that. It's a good explanation for it. Thank you. And, and that's, that's worked well for me. I've, I've ran more than a few campaigns that were focused on travel across the galaxy. And those four points never really failed me. They don't seem to contradict each other. And they seem to build a somewhat uh, workable understanding of, of faster than light travel in, in Star Wars. As long as people understand that objects in space are usually always moving. Yes. Like no matter what. Yes. Then it makes sense. Right now, Sam, you and I are moving. The globe spinning. Solar system shooting through space. The galaxy probably moving. They haven't proved it yet. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't have a camera that goes far <laughs> enough out to observe the movement. Also, it's it's the 1600s. <laughs> All right. Enough heady game running bullshit. Can we just talk about the mechanics, please? I want to roll some fucking dice, Stephen. I'm, I'm, let's let's roll some fucking dice. Astrogate is a trained only application of the used computer skill. Actually, let me read it. 
Astrogate. Trained only. You can plot a safe course through hyperspace. Doing so usually requires one minute, at the end of which you must succeed on a used computer check. Various factors influence the DC of the check. More on that later. A Nava computer allows a character aboard a starship to make a used computer check to Astrogate untrained. So there you, there you have it. Pretty simple, right? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely simple. Sorry, I was thinking about L3's head just hanging from the dashboard of the, of the Falcon. <laughs> he said nav computer, and I was like, yeah, like L3's just fucking head, severed head, just hanging there. That was a weird... L3 was cool. Yeah, very cool character. Very cool. One of the more interesting characters in that movie. One of, the most, one of the more interesting droids that we've seen in the Star Wars universe. Very true. The whole fucking Lando subplot was interesting. I'm glad they didn't explicitly do it. Yeah. On screen. On screen. It was implied, though. Very implied. So astrogation is a trained-only action. I know what you're thinking, Sam. Oh, no. My soldier will never astrogate. Well, of course, like I just said, a Navi computer lets anyone astrogate regardless of training and not mentioned in the astrogate entry. It actually also gives you a plus five equipment bonus to your astrogation check. So if you aren't trained, you still get a pretty little bonus there. Another prerequisite of hyperspace travel is astrogation data. The computer must be fed information about your destination before travel is possible. Well-known and well-traveled planets probably the vast majority of places your party may find themselves, always have cutting-edge astrogation data automatically available on the holonet. Your used computer check to astrogate is against a DC that's determined by your destination's obscurity and the relative availability of hyperspace data. Astrogating to a mainstream destination is a DC-10 and takes one minute. On a success, you arrive at your destination in 1D6 days times your hyperdrive class. So that's, say, 1d6, you roll a 2, you've got a class 2 hyperdrive, that's four days of travel, right? Okay. The age of the astrogation data, which loosely, uh, pretty well correlates with the obscurity of the destination, determines that astrogation DC. Like I said, 10 is a good number for very easy-to-find, well-known plants like Corellia, you know, Kuat. Um, like, up-to-date, like, you got this astrogation data, like, a minute ago. Exactly. From your Waze app. Precisely. How do we how do we Star Wars up a ways? Uh, W4Z3? What do you mean? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and then it goes up to a 15 for astrogation data that's at least one day old, but less than a week. A 20 for astrogation data that's at least one week old, but less than a month. 25 for at least one month old, but less than a year. And 30 for astrogation data that's at least a year old. I use that 30 there for like unknown regions destinations the 15 is probably good for outer rim places like Tatooine. you know this is fairly loosey-goosey it's going to be situational and the age of astrogation data can vary a lot depending on who got it you know if it's the ministry of hyperspace travel they're probably going to have pretty up-to-date data on relatively obscure locations if um it's- maybe uh if the empire is trying to quell some sort of outbreak or rebellion in a certain part of the galaxy Ooh. they might they might um embargo the astrogation data for that region now that's smart and i want to come back to that later because astrogation data is a really interesting commodity to play with with your players that i have some experience toying with and with really really awesome results a few more modifiers here for your dc like i said using a navic computer grants you a plus five bonus if you don't have a navic computer you actually get a minus 10 penalty which is interesting. So Nava computer, yes, which is like 99% of the time, plus five. No Nava computer, 
that it's maybe disabled by some sort of crazy ion nebula or something, minus 10. Um, you will note that most starfighters don't actually have a Nava computer. They might have something called a limited Nava computer, which just stores static astrogation like data. Like the last three places they jump to, right? Something like that, yeah. yes. I think Astromex may have this ability, too, to store hyperspace data. If you have no holonet access, which can happen for a variety of reasons, maybe you're very far from the center of galactic disk, or you're playing in the dark times and holonet uh, access is tightly controlled, uh, that's a minus five tier check. And you can actually, I did say that astrogation takes a minute of prep before you can travel. You can attempt to make that check in a single round at a minus 10 penalty. Uh, it's great to force players into this conundrum of will they, won't they, you know, face them with an encounter they may not survive unless they can get away in a timely manner. A brave and particularly force point using and very skilled astrogator may gamble on that minus 10, especially if they're escaping to a well-known destination. If they have a Navi computer as well, does it make it a, minus, a net minus five? That would be correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You still so get so that these, plus, these yeah. stack together. These okay. absolutely stack together. Yeah. So it's only a net minus five if you try to make that jump in one round, which. So no Navi computer and a one round check is a, net, is a minus 20? That's correct. It's insane. And depending on the desk, I mean, depending on where you're going, that can be pretty easy or extremely downright impossible. I wonder if anyone's ever used a destiny point on a uh, astrogation. I'm sure someone has. Yeah. Right. If you have a cool story about using a destiny point for an astrogation check, please, I'd love to hear it. Please do. Additionally, attempting a hyperspace jump with no data takes one hour to calculate and has a DC of 30. Something to keep in mind. And we're, that would be that would be like trying to go somewhere that doesn't is unmarked completely. Yeah, yeah. A place with no astrogation data available that you probably have a vague sense of where it is. Like um, an unknown region. Or um, like the Paran Nebula in the unknown regions. Lasan, like Lasan, yeah, Lasan, <laughs> yeah. Let's go to Lasan, guys. <laughs> a skilled astrogator, and we're getting into one of my favorite little 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 bits of the system here, Sam. A skilled astrogator may voluntarily raise the astrogation DC to reduce the travel time with increased risk of something going wrong. For every five points that you increase the DC, you reduce your travel time by one day. If this would reduce travel time to less than one day, you instead reduce the remaining travel time by half to a minimum of one hour. So if I'm really good at astrogating, I can make a week long trip an hour. Yes. If you potentially. Yes. If you raise that DC high enough, say if you take 10, you can hit 30. No problem, which isn't even that hard to do at higher levels. Then bingo bongo, you're in. You're cruising pretty fucking fast. Just as an example, um, a level 10 astrogator with skill focus and use computer taking 10 on this check will shave four days of travel time to a well-known destination. So say you got a class one hyperdrive, one D six, you're rolling an average of three and a half days. Knock that down by four days. You're getting there in a day or an hour, half a day. That's wild. 12 hours. Come on. Now we're approaching movie speed, right? It's one of my favorite things to do in the game is letting players do this. Just something about a player voluntarily raising a DC to do something cool. I don't know. It's it's funny. You don't see that a whole lot, I think. I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely better than being like, oh, you rolled a nat 20, and so I'm going to make it easier. It's like, no, 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 no. You chose to raise this bar. Exactly. And, you know, I, I love putting players in situations that require and necessitate speedy travel. I mean... Impatient huts. Have huts ever given unreasonable deadlines? <laughs> Absolutely they have. That's all they do. 
<laughs> Mr. Jabba, your Rancor pit's gonna take uh take seventy-two hours. Igatuta. <laughs> I I think the boy well, you're you're saying the Rancor is gonna be here in a day. We'll see what we can do. <laughs> exactly. And you know, who wants to leave a hut waiting? There's inconvenient corporate deadlines. There's there's lawmen on the hunt, Sam. Come on. Players should be on the run. Always. Pikes. 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 Fucking pikes. No safety. No stability. Fucking pikes. Uh, you can and absolutely should take 10 here. Uh, I used to tell people all the time that you can take 20 here. You cannot because you cannot take 20 on checks that have consequences for failure. Even if I'm just going to Coruscant? Even if you're just going to Coruscant. Because I'll tell you what happens if you fail that astrogation check. You oh. die. Do you die? Straight into a black hole. Done. No, you don't. No, you don't. I was about to- <laughs> no. <laughs> no fucking way. No, no. A lot of people think you do, though. A lot of people think that another hesitation. You smash into an asteroid at 110 miles an hour. No, but like, seriously, a lot of people think that. The, a, a big hesitation I see with people using this astrogation system is like, oh, I don't want my party to die from one botched check. Where does it show me in the book where it says the party instantly dies from one botched astrogation check? I'll tell you what it does say. Oh, let me read right from the book here, because I, I like how, how the book puts it. This is page 237 of the core rulebook. A failed use computer check indicates that the astrogator has made a potentially dangerous error in their calculations. Make another use computer check using the same modifier against the same DC. If the second use computer check is successful, the error is caught before entering hyperspace, and the process of plotting a course must begin anew. If the second use computer check fails, the starship moves one persistent step down on the condition track and takes damage equal to 5% of its total hit points for every point by which the check fails. The persistent condition and damage remain until the ship undergoes maintenance. If the ship is not disabled or destroyed, it arrives at the intended destination in double the expected travel time. If the ship is disabled, it drops out of hyperspace in a random location somewhere between the point of origin and the destination exact location determined by the game master. I love that. Isn't it great? That's way better. So just in review, if you do fail, you just try again. And if you succeed on that, try again. Then you got to start all over again. No one dies. If you fail. To catch your error, though, a whole world of possibility opens up, possibly resulting in the party dropping at a random point along their vector of travel. I like this because you're as a GM. Because the idea is that the player would know the DC they need to roll for astrogation. Of course. But as a GM, you could offer to be like, okay, we can cut this down by a few days, but it's going to be a harder roll Mm -hmm. and not tell them exactly what the DC would be, even though you probably would know from the math. Exactly. Um. I like the idea of someone rolling an astrogation check. They fail. They don't know they failed. The GM rolls a secret astrogation check for them to catch their mistake. Ah. And then they just take off as normal. Clever use of secret rolls. I like that, Sam. That's a good one. Scum and Villainy actually expanded on this a little bit on page 100 with the space travel hazards table. We've talked about this before. This is not the same as space hazards. This is not the same as starship hazards. These are space travel hazards. These are the the between like the between hyperspace jump uh, hazards, right? Exactly. So this is a this is a fat table. I don't know if you can see it there on your screens, fam, but it's a two d twenty table. Jesus. So Christmas. first you roll for 
a mishap category, which is minor, moderate, or major, and then you roll for the specific instance of mishap within that. That's cool. Yeah, so a, a minor mishap is the starship approaches a gravity field too quickly, causing structural stress. The starship's armor bonus is reduced by one until all persistent conditions are removed. A moderate mishap is the starship encounters an uncharted asteroid field, setting off a collision alarm. The pilot must make a DC-15 check to avoid collision with a gargantuan piece of debris. The DC increases by two for each round between the alarm sounding and the pilot check. And at major mishap, these get really fun. The starship flies through a super-dense cluster of stars, the stress of which causes the hyperdrive to burn up. The starship's hyperdrive is disabled and requires a DC-30 mechanics check to repair to a class 15. So you don't even get your hyperdrive back once Jesus you repair that. Cr- it just becomes a class 15 until presumably you can get to a spaceport where more uh, robust repairs can be made. That sounds awful. <laughs> With a class 15, you're looking at like months in About travel. Hyperspace travel. Like to the nearest planet, it's going to be at least a month or two. I love the idea of a campaign taking place during the Clone Wars. Disabled hyperdrive, class 15. And uh, finally, refix it, go into hyperspace, leave hyperspace, Empire. (laughs) Damn right. Damn right. You made a clone that was a little bit like that. Yes. Yeah. The coolest thing about these scenarios is that you finally get to ask questions of your party and consider their resources in ways you may not have before. For example, say the party passes through that star cluster, burns out their hyperdrive, barely manages to patch it back together, working at a class 15 month month and a half to the nearest star the gm finally gets to ask how much food you guys got on that ship it's <laughs> fucking that's most ships only have a month or two's worth of consumables on there and you know we don't know last time they topped off time to do some exogore fishing <laughs> you know here it's really good you know sliced real thin and fried up in a pan oh man i th- i bet it would just dissolve if you threw it in a it, pan it just turns to ash <laughs> yeah, i bet exactly. it doesn't cook it's like it's all silicony oh. yeah. You just mix it with water and it makes like a mochi, exogorth mochi. Exactly. And, you know, every every GM worth their salt out there is rubbing their hands together when they hear exact location determined by GM. Because that means that's a whole, that's a free wild card to do fucking anything. Hey, that that adventure you've been wanting to run for the past three months, but it wasn't convenient to the plot. Here it is. I'm glad you mentioned that exact thing because... I have written an adventure for this exact scenario, a lost hyperspace situation for a planet, a lost colony world that has gone full on like Monty Python esque, like feudalism <laughs> serfdom. I love it. <laughs> so the party crash lands, touches down, and they say, Oi! You've been watching too much TNG, Steven, is what I'm hearing. It sounds exactly like a Star Trek episode, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it is. <laughs> But yeah, I, I have this, um, it's this cool planet that's like kind of, I want to do like a primordial, like a Cambrian explosion thing. So it's like all slimy and swampy yeah. and there's like, you know, barely any multicellular organisms around. And there's like a knight in steel armor <laughs> sloshing through the swamp to go greet the party. It's, it's cool. I, I've been meaning to pull it out the next time there's any sort of hyperspace mishap, but that hasn't happened in Is it like a cool alien horse? Exactly. Some weird, like, maybe lizard horse or something. Like an insect horse that kind of glides across the swampy water. Exactly. You get it. You I get it. it. This was inspired by the, um, oh, what are they called? The, um, Cantillian Rangers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They Anta- ha- Antarian Rangers? An- Antarian Rangers. We're acting like we can't just look this up. Ronnie's Ronnie, gonna Ronnie's gonna Ronnie. kick your ass if you don't know what uh, it's, that's true, that's you don't true. know what they're called. 
The Antarian Rangers. Yeah. Yes. I read about the Antarian Rangers, and I wanted to bring them in via this, like, Monty Python swamp world. But, you know... You you don't have to do a, a Star Trek ripoff here. You can <laughs> you, you can do anything. It's I mean, a, think about it, like a tense pirate conflict in Hut space. I mean, who wants to come across that shit? One God, no, yeah. no, like a, a restricted area rife with star destroyers. What if they end up in uh, what's it called the um, the Maw, or just an unknown planet with an all powerful crazy life form? That's Star Trek too. It's very Star Trek. <laughs> Or, oh, I, I want to I want to mourn someone, but I don't want to spoil TNG. <laughs> Damn it, never mind. But when you know who just tragically dies, and yeah, oh, they, they just get iced they, instantly, they, straight up just death. Like yeah. they just get like on like ah, like it was kind of graphic a little oh, bit. Oh yeah, and then and then they're dead. Yeah, there was no saving from that. It was straight up just death. Yeah. It was instantaneous death. Yeah, yeah. and they, they walked up to them, and they we've were never like, had that shit in Star Wars. Ever never had instant <laughs> just instant death like for for a beloved character you know I guess I guess Obi Wan but we kind of see it coming that like yeah that was like a heroic sacrifice this was like yeah. a murder <laughs> <laughs> this was like a like a violent act <laughs> one other point I wanted to make the cool thing about astrogation and and why it deserves to be in your game Sam and and the listeners game unlike a lot of stuff we talk about it doesn't require a specialized party member. The party techie can do this. Anyone with a decent to excellent use computer modifier, which if your party doesn't have that, what are you fucking doing? Can do this. <laughs> anyone who's generally good with computers in the party can astrogate pretty damn well. And anyone else can aid them. Exactly. The whole party can aid this. There's no limits on that shit unless, you know, you set them. And worst case, say you really have a party full of numbskulls and jarheads. Buy an astromech. Astromex love this shit. It's what they're designed for. They get a little they get a little kick out of exactly. it. Exactly. It's their their <laughs> fucking pleasure circuits go wild. <laughs> Astromex that get off on astrogation. That's awful. I didn't say get off. <laughs> you said pleasure circuits. Pleasure comes in many enough. forms. <laughs> Sometimes it's astromex sexual. <laughs> Sometimes Astro- it's not. <laughs> astromex sexual. Speaking of Lando. Yeah, do you think you'd fuck an astromech? Um, probably. Because in the movie, he clarifies that he's fine fucking droids. Does that just include the anthro-shaped droids, or are we including astromechs, I want to recut the scene in Jabba's palace where they're torturing that astromech with, like, like the, like, hot irons against his little no, feet. No, no. But it's got Lando in the background, like, in a gimp suit. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, great rewrite, Sam. That's, that's how he's disguised that Jabba's palace he's in a gimp suit <laughs> in the droid God. torture room. The droids, hold on, we're taking a, we're taking a, we're going off the path here. What the fuck is with that droid torture room? Why does Why? Jabba torture droids? What's the point in torturing a droid? What is, was it? A, it's an astromech or is it a gong droid? It's a gong droid. Which Why is would ter- you torture a gong It's droid. a battery with legs. What did it do to deserve this? Who programmed these droids to feel pain? Who programmed C-3PO with an anxiety disorder? Anakin Skywalker. I guess so. Did that come with the kit? Did he do that for kicks? So isn't yucks? the whole deal with C-3PO, we're doing a little tangent here, but that's yeah, fine by me. Whatever. The whole deal with C-3PO is that Anakin kind of threw him together with parts Oh, and okay. He he's like created his chassis in a way that he can just throw any parts on him yeah. and it would work. Yeah. So I'm sure C3PO just got like a brain chip that was in the desert somewhere, <laughs> you know? Like 
that uh that, that droid torture scene in, in Jedi always fucked me up as a kid. It's so it's so unnecessary. It's, it's I, I want to know what George was thinking. Like, yeah, this will show him Java's cruelty, not the sexual slavery, not the monster in the pit, not sort of eating somebody. Yeah, not <laughs> just eating someone. It's the droid torture. Maybe it's maybe it's not torture. Maybe it's a sex dungeon, and the and, the and we're back. And we're back it. to Lando and the cum on people. I can hear the fucking subscribers dropping like flies. Okay. Oh yeah, astrogation data as a commodity, Sam. We've talked a lot about in the show rewards for the party. You know what different shit can be given to the party for a job well done. Astrogation data to a hidden treasure world. Come on. That's Easy cool. stuff. Pardon needs to meet a contact on a distant outer rim world, but the astrogation data they have is too hard for a low-level party to work with. Say it's like a DC-20. They can maybe bribe some officials, grease some palms to get some newer astrogation data. Who knows? I like it. I like it. Maybe um, the party's been hired to uh, take out a... Um a high political figure on his vacation world because he owns a whole world for his vacation. Oh home. yeah. Oh yeah. But it's hidden away because it's not supposed to be astrogatable to. Mm-hmm. Astrogation data is a closely guarded secret. Yeah. I like mm-hmm. that. Very good. I do That's like nice. the idea of some fucking Imperial fat cat, like it like rest. He's like, Oh, finally relaxing. And it's like a whole world that he's just fucking sitting on. Uh, Palpatine kind of did that with, um, with Biss. Yeah. Palpatine would do that though. He's very yeah. dramatic in that regard. That was well, that was the weird thing. That was a cool thing I liked about Biss. Weird and cool thing is that he would like invite like like high like society types to oh please come live on my paradise Biss world and and live here forever. You're one of Palpatine's chosen. Congratulations. You just live on Biss. Meanwhile, he's sucking their life force out the <laughs> whole time, and he's making uh, he's making weird droid. Hybrids yeah, in, the, in the catacombs or something yeah, weird. Like, I, I don't know what happens on Biss, but it's weird. <laughs> what happens on Biss stays on Biss. Sure does. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Dark Times Podcast. Thank you. For Specifically you. Yes, you. I'm talking to you. You in the shorts. Yeah, yeah, you in the shorts. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the show. Thank you. You painting the mini. Good job. Yeah. Miss, miss a spot. If you're, if you, that brewery guy, if you're on your shift right now listening. Don't. <laughs> Keep it up. You can't do that. You work with that tray <laughs> or that pour, whatever you're doing. I, Lift that keg. Ooh, you're so strong. I hope he's like, I hope he's like bent over laughing so hard right now after I hope hearing so that. Too. Oh, that's great. I like hearing about what our viewers, uh, what our listeners rather do while they listen to the show. People get up to all sorts of stuff while they listen to this thing. I'm, I'm definitely cooler stuff than when I'm listening to it. That's for sure. <laughs> But yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, listeners, fans, patrons, thank you, each and every one of you. Uh, this is our 30th episode, which, you know. Wow, 30 I, episodes. We, we, you know, I'm starting to sound like a broken record, but I, I thought like five was going to be before we realized that not really anyone wanted this besides us. Um, but you guys love it, and we love that you love it. This is a community podcast of, of, of my dreams. And, and we love and doing it, it. We love doing it. Thank you. Our patrons keep this podcast afloat. It's not free to run a podcast, and it does take quite a bit of our time. Each episode, about 10 hours of labor, I'd say. Yeah. Rough estimate. Um, and, and the patrons make all that possible. Sam and I have, like, full-time jobs and rent and life. And yeah. All that stuff gets in the way of, of doing a podcast. But, um, 
you guys keep us coming back through your monetary contributions, through your nice comments, through telling your friends. Exactly. Uh, and and we, we couldn't be more appreciative of it. Yeah. Steven, do you have anything to promote or anything we're working on? Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, we have that one shot that we're working on. I have my hex crawl guide up there, too, which is, of course, available for free on Reddit. But if you support the show, you get access to a revision of the guide that, you know, tweaks the grammar, cleans up the wording a little bit and also has some lovely art pictures all styled to look just like an official Swissy source book. I think it's pretty sharp personally. Yeah. And any any future um, updates we do to our module, we're working on it. I've got some maps in the works We're right now. It's surprisingly no wonder it took a team of freelancers to write uh, the Dawn of Defiance. Uh, <laughs> it does take a lot of work to write a module. It sure it's does. way different than writing something that you would just run for yourself later and your 100%. friends. Because I can write just one sentence and know what that means in, in terms of a two-hour span. But <laughs> for modules, you got to be really specific and make sure everything is written out. But we would spare no expense for our patrons. Not at all. Patrons also get to vote in our build contests. Which, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. A little foreshadowing there. Oh, yeah. Just a little bit. But uh, I, think we've, I think we've gone on long enough. Shall we get back into the show? Well, Stephen, I want people to know that if they have anything they want to say or put on the show, they can email us darktimesswse at gmail.com or reach out to us on Twitter at darktimesswse. Hell yeah. Get back to it. Stephen, we got another build from Arrow. Yay! Iro. I think it's Iro, yeah. I believe it is Iro. I gotta yeah. say, Iro, your email, this was the most like beautifully formatted build I've ever seen. I don't know if this was like HTML tables or something like that, but it looked clean, crisp. Sam had a wonderful time translating this into our, our show notes because it I was really so well formatted. setting the bar for uh, what build emails would look like in the future. <laughs> for real. Seriously, thank you, Iroh. Let's, let's dig in. Iroh gave us what they're calling an opportunist build concept. Ooh. Um, they didn't really give us any stats or species or anything, but because the idea of this is more of a concept that's nebulous for whatever situation you want to use it in. Yeah. The idea is to make as many attacks of opportunity as possible and be effective in doing so, all the while fighting defensively. So it's got the combat reflex feat, which gives you a number of attacks opportunity equal to your dex modifier per round. Classic. It's three levels in scoundrel, three levels in soldier, one level in Jedi, and three levels in scout. Oh, very making fun. A, a nice, even, well-rounded level 10 character. Yeah, that's like everything but scoundrel, right? Scoundrel I mean, was the first thing I said. Uh, <laughs> everything but noble, right? Everything but noble, Nay. yeah. <laughs> Listening comprehension, folks. Uh, the, the concept includes combat reflexes, which gives you a number of attacks opportunity equal to your dex modifier per round. Counterpunch, which means that any adjacent creature that attacks you provokes an attack of opportunity while fighting defensively. Steven, this is something that you got to drive around the GM Fiat for a bit and oh, see how you feel. Let me let me get in. Um, counterpunch. It does say. That's right. Any adjacent enemies attacking you trigger an attack of opportunity from you. Now, what do you think? How does that resolve is my question, I guess. So that that's a great question. Uh, I, this one comes up a lot, and I think there's like a definitive answer out there. And if you know it, please write in and, and tell us. Yeah, we'll mention it next week. Um, Counterpunch, the, the talent from Scum and Villainy on the Brawler talent tree says, when you fight defensively, any adjacent creature that attacks you provokes an attack of opportunity from you. When I read that, I, I, I think the enemy's attack resolves first. And then that triggers your attack of opportunity. Otherwise, it's not a counterpunch, I guess. Otherwise, it's not really a counterpunch, <laughs> yeah. So, and, and also, like, this also means, if I'm reading it well, 
they can miss you with their attack. It doesn't say deals damage to yeah. you. It says attacks you. So they can whiff it and you can still slam them, which I mean, that's some John Wick shit. Yeah, which ties into the next part of this little combo here. Well, let's see. Um, the find openings talent gives you a plus two to your next attack if an enemy misses you. So if someone misses you with that attack and you go for the counter punch, you get a plus two to that. And then they also have hold the line, a talent that means any successful attacks opportunity stop a creature's movement. My favorite uh, Toto song. <laughs> Rosanna, first of all. Oh. Um, I guess Africa, too. But if you're if you're a mainstream person, I don't know, Africa's all right. Rosanna. <laughs> Go ahead. Use the force today, Rosanna. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Fuck um, this build also includes opportunistic shooter, which provides a bonus to attacks opportunities with ranged weapons combined with point blank shot, zero range and weapon focus. This makes up and also find openings It more than makes up that minus five that you'd get to your attacks while fighting defensively. Holy shit. I know, right? It's, it's a, like a net plus two or it something a like that. Whirlwind. <laughs> uh, this build also includes draw fire. Uh, which, you know, you make a persuasion check to force enemies to target you instead of any allies within six squares. That's great. We all love, you know, big fan. Of, I'm a big fan of draw fire talent me personally. Me Absolutely. Uh, blast back allows free attack against target that damages you with an area attack once per round. And then second strike means if you miss an attack, you can move half your speed and make a second attack of the same type against a different target without provoking attacks opportunity. And I would rule it as... Second strike just says it's a free action when you miss an attack. It does not say when you miss an attack on your turn. So if I missed my blast back, I could move half my speed and make another attack at uh, not during my turn. That that checks out with me. I think yeah. it sounds really. I don't think I knew about second strike. Yeah, well, it's pretty it's cool. cool. Yeah. Really cool. Blast back's the prereq for second strike as well. Nice. I was I was kind of gearing with this one around because because Iro didn't put a species or anything with it yeah. so i was like okay what would be a cool species for this uh obviously the the powins the ones from uh Utapau? oh yeah. yeah yeah the little guys no the tall guys the tall guys the tall guys yeah i like them i like their teeth yeah they get a plus two bonus to wisdom and charisma and minus two to strength they also have the skill the conditional bonus feat skill focus persuasion oh there you which go is really good for a draw fire build i mean Damn plus 15 to persuasion check to Keep your enemies targeting you. It's great. If you wanted to amp this shit up, who with the with the uh, multiple tax of opportunity, anything with a dex bonus would be perfectly appropriate. Gungan. Oh, yeah. Of course. Gungans, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I made, I made a Gungan face at Sam. What's a Gungan face? <laughs> you look at, look at me. He's morphing to Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> Okey day. Well, that was great. Thank you, Iro. Thank you, Sam. Yes, thank you. Sorry, I got so caught up in the, the nitty gritty, I forgot to com- thank you again for sending the build in. If you have any builds you want to send us or any cool concepts you want us to talk about on the show, email us darktimesswse at gmail.com. Fantastic. <clears throat> Steven? Yeah? You know what time it is, Steven? Oh, it's it's time to announce our build contest. No, not yet. You, uh, haven't, you haven't gained that right yet, Steven. Oh, I've, I was worried you were going to say that. It's time for my personal favorite segment. Legally required segment. <laughs> Name yeah. that NPC or I literally kill you. Yeah, the Empire handed down a pretty pretty strict ordinance that this <laughs> must occur. For those unfamiliar, the way this works is I have an NPC stat block, usually a named stat block here. Steven has three chances to guess what the stat block is. Uh, he can ask a yes or no question before each chance. 
And if he fails all three, then he dies, and I will look for another host in the coming days. Yeah, we'll have a Google survey link down at the bottom in the description <laughs> in the event of my death to hold interviews for my replacement as co-host, because I'll be dead. Yeah, of course. This one might be too easy, Stephen, but it's fine. You, sometimes you deserve an easy one, you know? You know, I, I, I feel like Dangar was pretty fucking hard. Well, it's only hard because you misheard I, what I, I said. That's true. That was the hardest part of it. All right, hit me with it. <laughs> Um, this is a CL11 stat block. Okay. Uh, this is from the Clone Wars campaign guide. Okay. Affiliations, the Jedi, the Galactic Republic. This is Jedi 8, Jedi Knight 3. We are looking at a Twi'lek, medium Twi'lek. Is it Isla Secura? <laughs> Steven, you've done it again! You've got it Yay! in one, Steven. It is Isla Secura. I don't know how you'd pronounce it. I think it's Isla Secura. Yeah. Isla Sakura. Never too good at that the, one. Probably the only female Twi'lek Jedi we actually see in Star Wars. I was hoping it was Kit Fisto. He's not a Twi'lek? I know. That's when I oh. learned it was not <laughs> Kit Fisto. Yeah. Isla Sakura has an impressive force power suite uh, with force thrust, mind trick, and surge. Oh, nice. It, the force techniques, uh, force point recovery, and improved sense surroundings. Acrobatic strike, dodge, double attack, dual weapon mastery. Uh, mobility, weapon finesse, weapon-focused lightsabers, and uh, weapon proficiency lightsabers as well. Uh, she has the Ataru lightsaber combat talent, oh, of course. which is very cool. Ataru allows you to add your dex bonus instead of your strength bonus to damage rolls when wielding a lightsaber. When you wield a lightsaber two-handed, you can apply double your dex bonus to the damage instead. That's pretty cool. Pretty big deal. She also has the special action Force Haze. You can spend a force point as a standard action to create a haze that hides you and your allies from the perception of others. You can hide a number of creatures in line of sight equal to your class level. Make a use the force check and compare the result to the will defense of any opponent that moves into line of sight of any creature hidden by your force haze. If your check result equals or exceeds the opponent's will defense, all hidden creatures are treated as if they had total concealment against the opponent. That's pretty cool. You can also use it to hide a single vehicle and it lasts one minute, but it's dismissed if anyone attacks. Nice. That's super cool. I didn't know she had that. Neither did I. Steven, do you have any uh, trivia this week? I have some trivia this week. Uh, this one's not very obscure, but a famous plot hole in Empire Strikes Back. Despite the Falcon's hyperdrive being broken, a major plot point of the film, they used it to travel to Bespin after evading the Empire in the asteroid field. When Lucas uh, responded to questions about this, he said that backup hyperdrives were the answer and standard in the galaxy far, far away. That's why you look at any ship, stat block, and Swissy, got a backup hyperdrive. And it has it because of this one <laughs> plot hole from Empire. Um, I'm pretty sure they were actually going to the Lando system, Stephen. It wasn't the Lando's not a system. He's a guy. He's a cool guy who fucks, fucks droids. droids. <laughs> Lando proud, proud robosexual Lando Calrissian. Amazing. <laughs> Stephen, you spoiled it. You spoiled it. Yes, I did. We have another build contest coming your way, folks. It's been a bit. I feel it's like been, it's been a long time. It's been a couple I'm, months I'm, I'm at glad, least. I'm glad we're getting back into it. Bounty hunters, folks. They come in all shapes and sizes. So let's see their shapes. Let's see their sizes. Let's see their classes. Per usual, this is going to be a level 10 submission for your bounty hunter. They must have at least one level of the bounty hunter prestige class. These are the only requirements. I would love to see a wide swath of diverse builds, a whole rainbow of bounty hunters. Let's recreate that scene from Empire. Yeah, if you ever want to put your own... Your own original character bounty hunter in that scene from Empire. That's yes, what I want to see. Absolutely. If you had a bounty hunter on the brain, send it our way. Yeah. Submissions are due no later than Sunday, July 17th 
at 11.59 p.m. That's just under two weeks. That's specific standard time. That's specific standard time, yes. Uh, send it to our email is the best place. Uh, you can also send it to us on Discord, but really the easiest place for us to have everything in our email. Uh, thank you, and looking forward to those submissions. I'll have a reminder for you next week as well. That's Bounty Hunter Level 10 must have at least one level of the Bounty Hunter Prestige class. And, of course, with your submission, include a little story about him, maybe. Yeah. We like reading those. Uh, thank you again for listening to the Dark Times Podcast. Thank you to Iro for sending in a build. I'm Sam. I produce and edit the show. Steven's my co-host. You can email us, darktimesswse at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us on Twitter at darktimesswse. Review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, wherever you get your shows. Uh, tell a friend. If you tell us, you tell a friend. We'll tell you guys hi on the show. Steven, you got a quote for us this week? Never tell me the odds. <laughs> Uh, Good night, everybody! Hold on, I just want to pull the Reddit post. Says this is my first date. (laughs) Hold on, babe, let me show you this Reddit post I made. Hold on, babe. Oh my god, I got platinum today. Yeah, it's like the it's like better than Reddit gold, you know. Oh my god. You seen this meme? You seen this meme? <laughs> yeah, I posted that. Yeah, I was on the top of R slash all today. <laughs> it's on the top page. Yeah, I made it to the front page Reddit today, babe. <laughs> See that trash can? It's an R2D2. <laughs> oh man.